I've come to Teano with a pack on my back, a tape recorder on my shoulder, and a producer at my heels. The assignment? To capture something of the atmosphere of the Milford track and the response of the trampers who walk it. So here we are in the bus, in company with 32 others. They're individuals at the moment. We haven't yet become a cohesive party. We're not quite sure what we've taken on, or what shape we're going to be in after those 33 miles. Most of us are middle-aged, although there's a good sprinkling of youngsters with an interesting range of accents. The bus sets us down at the boat landing at Teano Downs. From here, there's a launch trip up to the head of the lake. It's blue and limpid and unruffled today. And then we walk the half mile to Glade House. It's a wide track through beech forest. At the Glade, there's a welcoming committee. A pair of paradise ducks. The female's the soprano, and the male honks away in the bass. And then another and warmer welcome from Phil and Betty Turnbull, who manage Glade House. Welcome to Glade House. Good. <laughs> Great trip, isn't it? Tremendous. Good. Lake quite smooth all the way. Oh, just like a mirror. Great. Great, great. Yeah. Oh, come right in and we'll show you where your dormitories are. And the boys just go further on. And you choose your own bed. That's right. Have a nice trip off. Or to ride. That's good. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Girls are just in here. There's a rather tentative sing-song in the evening. A good meal and a roaring fire have made everyone comfortably drowsy. But Phil Turnbull takes the floor and livens things up. On the wall there are two maps, one of the world and the other of New Zealand. It's become a tradition at Glade House for track walkers to place coloured pins in the map where their hometowns are situated. Is there anyone here from the... United Kingdom from the British Isles or Ireland? Hold your hand up, anyone from the British Isles? Goody, goody, goody. Hooray! <laughs> Two. And what part from? Staffordshire. Well, then we have also this map on the wall with all these pins in it that you can see. And if there's a vacancy in the place that you come from, then we'd like you to come forward and put a pin in. And I don't think there's one in Staffordshire. Would you come? Good. Good. Now, I know the Samozis here. I can tell by the way they sing Waltzing Matilda. Hands up, all those from Australia. Wow, you must have been. Two from Australia? Two? Two more down there? That's four. 
Four from Australia. Hooray! <laughs> oh, yes. Quite often there's a bit of a contest between the Kiwis and the Aussies, but there's not much danger tonight. There's only four here, isn't there? Graham. <laughs> it doesn't take long to break down reserve in this atmosphere. And within half an hour, everybody knows everybody else. And then, in twos and threes, we wander outside to drink in the night and have a quiet yarn. The stars are bright and close overhead. A couple of stairwake weckers are still calling across the flats. Glade House is situated in uh, a beautiful area. It is in a glade, a natural glade. If you look out the front from the uh, veranda, you see the Clinton River going past. Away in the distance is a beautiful mountain that we call the Sentinel. It more or less guards the Clinton Canyon. And uh, in the winter, too, the snow covers the mountain. All the tops are white, and uh, it is beautiful at any time of the year. And one realises how insignificant one is sometimes when he sees the, uh, the, the height and the grandeur of these mountains. We're also interested in the, uh, in the deer. They come around here every night, and we often see them in the morning playing about Glad House, and uh, we're most interested in that sort of thing, and so are the people if they're fortunate enough to see them. I think the most significant part is just the really the grandeur of the place, the wonderful mountains, the waterfalls, beautiful colour in the river, and uh, we've always been interested, of course, in fishing in these rivers, and uh, the Clinton River is world-renowned for its fishing. Folk come from America just to fish in the Clinton River. Everything's just so pure and nice up here that we just love coming back. And in the morning, there's a briefing before we shoulder packs and head off up the track. Right then, we think about getting away, possibly just before nine o'clock. I'd like everyone to mention to me that they are going before you go. Uh, we like to check in on the number going away to make sure everyone gets on the Milford track safely. You go up the road here and weather permitting it is not necessary to go in a group. You can go in your twos and threes or with your friends, whoever you like. You make your way up, you go across the bridge. Has anyone had a trial? <laughs> <laughs> How did you get on? Good. <laughs> right, once you get across the bridge, you turn right, as the, the marker there will say. You saw the marker? 33 miles to go. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, you will find that each mile is marked as you go along the track. It's a sort of a, a speed register. And uh, when you get to six mile, just ahead of six mile, you'll see a THC building which is called Six Mile Inn. Now that is where you have your midday lunch. The lunch you pick up here. The guide will come down from Pompolona to meet us there and he will have the kettle boiling so that you can have a nice cup of coffee or tea or Milo there. Now he will give you a short talk about the rest of the trek in the afternoon, the four miles in the afternoon. And uh, he'll tell you about that. So I don't think there's very much else I need to tell you about the trek except it's quite important on the bridge. Now, one thing I would mention, quite important on all the bridges through the track, 
not to bounce the bridges. For two reasons, of course, the, uh, it is hard on the bridges and, of course, there are people that are nervous about being bounced on bridges. Uh, I know you'll be refrained from that. In twos and threes, we make our own pace along the track. It's level and wide, and wide enough to take a tractor these first few miles. Sunlight dapples through the beech trees. It's rather like walking through a gentle, scenic reserve. I overtake two Americans in the party. We have been to New Zealand twice before and have heard about the Milford Walk, and I wanted to take it. My husband's hunting in the north, and, but I still wanted to come down and take the walk by myself. Fortunately, I persuaded a friend to come with me. But I wouldn't have minded taking the walk alone because the New Zealand people are so friendly. Now, I noticed today that uh, you seem to be ahead of pretty well everyone else on the track. Have you been rushing along today? No, my friend and I have been doing some walking at home. I carried 10 pounds of salt and she carried 10 pounds of sugar. And my youngest son thinks that shows something about our character. So we're not so bad off for grandmothers. We're pretty fit for grandmothers. You are a grandmother, are you? Oh, I'm a great-grandmother. You're a great-grandmother. <laughs> now, how many grandchildren and great-grandchildren have you got? Well, only one great-grandchild and ten grandchildren. All the way, we parallel the Clinton River. It's superbly clear the water reflecting the green tint of the foliage. Great trout lie in the pools. I wonder how it can be so Here's one green. Big trout. green. Could he be a four-pounder? Mm. <laughs> Tell me, how, why is it so green? The depth of the water can be deceiving too. He could be a lot bigger than it actually appears to us here now. Do you think so? Yes. Yes. You'd find it very hard to judge the depth of the water mm -hmm. up there because of the clarity. If it wasn't oh, for a few yeah. leaves and that floating on top there, you could hardly see where the water starts. That's right, Wouldn't it be lovely to cast a fly in front of him? Oh, to get him tearing down the river at the end of the line. At the Six Mile Hut, there's another welcoming committee. Half a dozen weckers. They're a rich chestnut brown, bright-eyed and exceedingly well-fed. It's time for our own lunch too, washed down by a brew that's been put on by the guides. Then, another briefing. I see that everybody's here now. Uh, some of you may be wishing to travel on. Just before you go, uh, my name is Ken Bradley and I'll be travelling with you from now until sometime tomorrow. Also, we'll be accompanied by Roy Hammond, uh, He's a little ch uh, chap wandering around here at the moment. He's got a dog tag on, so you'll realise him who he is. He'll be coming along with us. And uh, we'll make sure that you'll get from here to the top of the McKinnon Pass tomorrow, sometime. Now, this afternoon, you've only four miles to go uh, from here to Pompolonis. Not very far, so we ask you just to take your time and conserve your energy for tomorrow. Uh, you might need it. Now, um... Your meal times, your meal times this afternoon, uh, afternoon tea will be put on from Pompolona from about three to four. So if you arrive between that time, uh, just go into the main dining room. Underway again. 
and we walk along on this perfect autumn day with Roy Hammond and his dog tag. We're seeing the track, he tells us, under perfect conditions. A day like today, it looks quite a harmless area. You'd think you were at home in a quiet park, but uh, a change in weather could change that entirely. It is a mountain area. Within an hour at times, it can change from quite moderate conditions to really bad ones, especially in the area of the pass. There's quite a percentage come through with the idea that it's a piece of cake, whereas it does involve climbing to 3,835 feet. And, uh, going down the same distance again. That's a little bit different from a quiet stroll through the park at home. The big thing is for people to uh, walk within their own capabilities at a speed that suits them and not try to rush too much. We interfere as little as possible with the individual. The idea is for them to get the most enjoyment they can out of the walk. And... Uh, the only time we shepherd along, as it were, is in case of bad weather crossing the pass or in flood conditions, then we have to insist that the parties travel as a tight group so that we can, they can all help one another and we can keep in close contact with them. We have a bellbird there, he's really enjoying himself and letting the world know about it. At Pompolona Hut, would you believe it, another welcoming committee. This time it's those clowns of the high country, the Kiers. Pompolona itself huddles on a shelf of rock between the southern wall of the Clinton Canyon and the river. In these upper reaches, the water of the Clinton is still superbly clear, but the river is vigorous and vocal. It's a counterpoint to every activity. We miss the sound of it when we go out at the end of the season, Roy Hammond tells me. At night, it competes with the sound of the generator, and at all times, it accompanies the calls of the keys. Dinner is a much more relaxed affair than last night. We become much more of a group during the day. At least that's the feeling I get chatting after the meal. Uh, last night we all came together for the first time. We hadn't met one another. Now today we've walked uh, 10 or 11 miles. Now, uh, do you think there's any difference in the atmosphere between yesterday and tonight at Pompadour House? Oh, yes, there is. You know, like, you know, last night you're just meeting everybody, but today you're just gradually you know, like getting into one big happy family. Like yesterday you were you know, friends and neighbours, but today you're getting into one big family. It's improving all the time. It's, it's tremendous. It's we all have our aches and pains in common now. 
There's much more in common. We can all gripe and complain and, and share that, too. Do you think there's any difference between last night and tonight? How do you feel about today? I feel much sore. <laughs> Yeah, it's the first time I've ever walked ten miles in my life. <laughs> but he's got nine far tougher miles to walk tomorrow, and Ken Bradley makes it very clear that this will be the toughest leg of the trip. Right, tomorrow morning, approximately, by 9.30, we hope, you'll come to this point here, which is where the shelter hut for Lake Mentaro is. That's the slide which Roy showed you a little earlier on. Uh, from Mentaro, uh, you proceed round the lake, Long, flat country here, pretty flat going. Uh, to this point here, this is where you cross the Upper Clinton by the Swing Bridge. And then you cross from one side of the Clinton Canyon to the other, and the matter of just a couple of hundred yards, the valley is very, very narrow at this point. And then you start climbing. Now you'll notice you'll climb, uh, you just go up into the bush a little way, and that's where you pass 13 miles, just as you start climbing. You probably won't see it, the sign hangs pretty high up in the tree, and most people are usually looking at their feet by this stage. And uh, so um, you don't, uh, a lot of people uh, don't see it. Some do, of course. Now, the track zigzags up the side of the pass uh, through a uh, very beautiful rainforest, uh, beach uh, forest, with a lot of hanging mosses and so forth, very pretty. Um, you come out to a view about three quarters of a mile up overlooking Mentaro, which uh, Roy showed you a slide of. And about 14 and a quarter mile, you come out into uh, real open tops. And this is what we call the open, to open tops from here onwards. You see the track here? Zigzags up. Back and forth up the side of the pass here. And if you can travel up at that speed, you're better than I am. <laughs> now, you come to a point here. It's a fine day tomorrow. Uh, it's not, uh, say, snowing, raining, hailing, or very, very foggy. Um, by all means, come across here. There's a track that comes across here to the memorial, which is there. Now, if it's a nice, fine day and the views are spectacular, put your packs down there and have a rest for a wee while. And while you're there, travel across to this point here. Now, this is known as a shear drop. Uh, across the other side there, you'll see it's quite a long way down. <laughs> About two and a half thousand feet. And, um... Oh, by the way, at Lake Mentara, I'll put a bucket of water out there. Um, and a cup, you know, a nice drink of water. Don't drink too much water, it's bad for you. Just one cup usually does. Uh, if you drink too much, you might start ruining some of our plant life. And in the dormitory, during the inevitable bull session, we discover why some packs seem heavier than others. There's a mist in the valley when we wake, but following the course of the brawling Clinton River, we can see the wall at the head of the valley. That's what we have to climb today. That's the McKinnon Pass. And right on the top we can just see a little dot that we know is the summit hut. The guides have put the fear of death into us and everyone's rearing to get on the track. Ken Bradley's threat hangs ominously in the mind. Well, you're very nearly at the top now. How do you feel? Very good. Very good. Be thankful for those cans of beer, though. You get to the top. You didn't find it much of a challenge? Oh, it was steep enough, but it wasn't too hard. Not too difficult? No. What about your cobber here? He looks... Uh, it's easy right. He looks as though he's going to live. Easy uh, enough. I've been sweating a little bit, that's all. 
But no problems. No, I'll be replacing it. <laughs> now, a lady... I enjoyed it. And how did you feel after last night, though? Because it was a bit frightening when we saw the slides, wasn't it? Yes, but it, it wasn't as steep as I thought, and it really is good. And it's the most terrific feeling as you're near the top, you're there. And this is the summit of the McKinnon Pass, 3,835 feet. A spine of rock that separates the watersheds of the Clinton and Arthur rivers. A great ridge linking the two flanking mountains, Hart and Balloon. It's covered in a, in a sort of tawny snowgrass and dotted with tarns. And on this perfect autumn day, there's only the gentlest breeze to ruffle their surface. Looking back, and that's the way we've come this morning, I can see Lake Mintaro nearly 2,000 feet below. And here and there, glimpses of a track winding back towards Pompolona. In spring, this will be a garden of alpine flowers, and now there's only a solitary plant of Edelweiss left blooming, and there'll be a few late-flowering gentians. Keers are wheeling and circling around us, and they're sidling up to eat the sandwich crusts of the party outside the summit hut. And not only sandwiches, one just tried to pinch a piece of my luncheon fruitcake. We've all made it, with varying degrees of ease or difficulty, and there's an exhilaration which isn't only due to the wonderful view on the cloudless skies. Turning around and looking forwards towards Milford into the blue depths of the valley floor 3,000 feet below, I can make out the airstrip at Quinton and the red roofs of the huts there. This is our next stage. We have to descend those 3,000 feet. By mid-afternoon, we'll be in Quinton. Distance from the pass to Quinton, four miles, descending 3,000 feet. Distance from Pompolona to the pass, five miles, ascending 2,100 approximately. Time to walk down to Quinton varies. Average three hours. From two miles down the track, you can see the top leap of Sutherland Falls. No smoking, please. It's downhill all the way now, and the tension has eased. And tramping down the stony slopes of the pass, there are stories to be told. The American lady there, it's, um, she's um, getting well on in years. And uh, we, we notice as uh, we're coming up on the, particularly on the zigzag area, at the last uh, hour, before you reach the top, at lunchtime, this uh, lady was really struggling, but um, she was taking her rests uh, periodically, and uh, on two or three occasions, uh, people offered to take her pack, and she just flatly refused. She said, no. She said, I've come to walk the Milford track, and she said, I'm going to do it with my pack on, or not at all. And that's where we all go to, and those 3,000 feet of track down to Quintin are long and steep, and some of the party, including myself, find this section tougher than the climb up the other side of the pass. But at last we straggle into Quintin, hot, tired and just a little sore, but with the bogey of the pass behind us. Quinton is a huddle of buildings on the valley floor. Behind rises the ridge of the McKinnon Pass. In front, the airstrip points down the valley to the rounded hump of Dumpling Hill. 
it's hemmed in by mountains without being in any way claustrophobic and it's easy to see how a country like this can lay hold of a person as it's laid hold of Bill Anderson. At 82 years of age, Bill has had 25 years association with the trek and has written a book about it. He's still fit and active, as good a hand as any on the trek, we're told. Bill has his own hut nearby. He built it, of course. But in the evenings, he often joins the crowd in the main building. The piano, which many trek walkers take for granted, was actually pushed by Bill Anderson and a team of helpers over much of the trek between Milford and Quintin. A dinghy was being brought overland at the same time, and so developed the oddest race in the history of the Milford trek. When he can be persuaded to talk about it, Bill tells the story in characteristic low-key fashion. It seemed to be just the, the natural... Um logical thing to do to uh, help entertain the people because I know very well that uh, a crowd will settle down and uh, get along more or less in family style if they have a piano to get round and sing. What sort of a system did you use for moving this piano up the canyon? Well, the system we used was rails. We had three sets of uh, decks in steel rails, uh, braced together, and uh, each set, as the piano ran over it, on these planched wheels, uh, was lifted and put in front. So in that leapfrog manner, we just goes on till we got here. We had reckoned on doing about two miles a day, and that's just what we did do when we had a full day, a full team. The full team consisted of uh, about seven, one each corner of the piano, one for each set of rails. Just by coincidence, the um, boat for Lake Ada, a clinker-built dinghy, started off at the same time as the piano. But they started off uh, in the morning, and they had a full day's start. They got it uh, a mile up the track before we started with the piano. So we lost no time making a start, half past four in the afternoon. We worked till about nine o'clock and but then we had got about three quarters of a mile up the track. The next morning we got up early about four o'clock and uh, pushed it the next quarter of a mile till we got up past the boat. The boat crew had uh, thought they had done so well, they celebrated their victory just a wee bit too soon, and they weren't in very good shape the next day. As a matter of fact, the boat didn't move at all the next day. We got to uh, Dubai about four o'clock in the afternoon. 
And Bill, um, when the uh, piano actually got to Lake Ada, uh, how many days ahead of the boat were you? About uh, six days. In the morning, when manager Gerald Williams wakes the men's dormitory, the atmosphere is a little less exuberant, introspective almost. Morning, gentlemen. Good morning. 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 Good what on Sunday? You're not allowed to drink on Sundays. Yeah, I'm allowed to drink beer on Sunday. You, you should be going to bloody church. Yeah. You should be going to the evening session. Christian soldiers will be singing. <laughs> Marching down the track. Having a bloody rain. <laughs> it's just like bloody old times, isn't it? All these bloody bunks and bloody grey blankets. But the big march out is still a day away, because except at the height of the season, parties spend two nights at Quinton. Today's march is an easy one, only a couple of miles or so. A scramble up Anderson's track to view the Sutherland Falls and then a walk to the base of the falls, cascading down 1,904 feet in three great leaps. I find that with a little boulder hopping and some wading, I can actually work my way across the river, not only to the very base of the falls, but actually up onto a rocky ledge in behind the waterfall itself. Living in Wellington, this reminds me of a, a very wet day during a southerly because the spray is coming at me, not vertically, but horizontally, because as the water comes down, there's a tremendous downdraft comes with it, and when it gets near the floor of the cannon, it blows out like an inverted mushroom, and I'm getting the spray blown at me and blown past me. The microphone is in a plastic bag, the recorder is in a plastic bag, which is now so covered with spray, I can't even see the portable recorder I've got with me. The only thing that isn't in a plastic bag is myself. Below me, there's quite a crowd of adventurous tracksters who've made the 22-mile walk from the head of Lake Teano up the canyon of the Clinton River and over McKinnon Pass yesterday. And this morning, I've reached the foot of the waterfall. And they're there, taking their photographs. There's a magnificent rainbow, which they can see and I can't because all I can see is the mass of water. Temporarily, even all these tourists have disappeared because the wind has changed very slightly and the spray has moved right out and they're completely hidden from view. And the spray is just to the left of the spray. I can see Mount Balloon, which this morning has a small amount of cloud uh, just streaming from its n northern edge. Two weeks ago, this area had the greatest rainfall in its recorded history, 21 inches of rain in 24 hours. And I can see, even from here, looking away from the waterfall, where all the scrub has been 
knocked almost flat. It would appear that this waterfall during that flood must have not come down straight down the rock face, but must have actually shot out and fallen almost towards the centre of the canyon. It must have been an absolutely magnificent sight. Originally, uh, an early explorer, Donald Sutherland, lived in the uh, Milford Sound area in the last century. And with a colleague, Mackay, he forced his way up the Arthur River. And they came to a very beautiful waterfall. And they both wanted to call it after their own names. One wanted to call it naturally. Donald Sutherland wanted to call it the Sutherland Falls. And his colleague wanted it to, to call it the Mackay Falls. So they finally tossed a coin. Mackay won. And Mackay Falls they were. But Mackay said, well, never mind, Donald. The next falls we come to can be named after you. A few days later, from a, a distance of about three or four miles from here, they suddenly got the view of what turned out to be one of the two greatest waterfalls in the world. And that is how these falls became called the Sutherland Falls. To most of the trampers, a visit to this great waterfall is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Their memories will always be imprinted with the sight of those three long leaps of water feathering down on a clear autumn day. I am a part of all that I have seen, says Ulysses. To the people who live and work in this country, familiarity brings only an increasing respect, a heightened perception of its beauties. Gerald Williams' response to his surroundings is typical of those who live on the track. I love uh, living in these sort of places. Uh, I spent a lot of my life in the bush and, and uh, roaming around, tramping and doing a little bit of climbing here and there, that sort of thing. Um, and also, I'd never before then been into Fjordland and this whole area and its atmosphere uh, certainly intrigued me and I felt I wanted to see something more of it. And uh, we felt this would be a chance to come and actually live here and really get the feeling of this country. Well, put it this way, people can walk through the Milford Track and you get a rough idea of what it's all about, but it's not until you live here that you really get the, the feeling and, and the spell of, of uh, well, Fjordland and just living here in this, what I consider, a fantastic environment, uh, the mountains and, and uh, and the scenery and uh, its various moods and so on, they, it, it really grows on you as far as I'm concerned and uh, it's been uh, a very wonderful experience, something I'll, I'll never forget. It certainly makes you realise, well, how small human beings really are, how puny and almost insignificant we are in relation to natural things and, and natural forces. I mean, living here just the other day and we saw this flood and you saw what could happen and how comparatively helpless we are when these natural forces take charge. Um, I was involved in a, a rescue operation. Uh, well, during this flood, I don't know whether I told you about that, but uh, I had to organize a stretcher party to uh, <coughs> collect uh, a lady who was trapped between here and Dumpling Hut, and uh, this took about two hours, and uh, that was uh, a really fantastic experience, and uh, we managed to get this person back and had a certain amount of difficulty, and just after we got back to the hut here, 
About 10 o'clock that night, uh, there was a landslide. You saw, you've seen that over there. Well, that came down uh, just exactly where we were, where a bridge had collapsed while we had this uh, woman on the stretcher. And um, if it had happened uh, half an hour earlier or if we'd been half an hour later, whichever way you'd like to look at it, uh, I and uh, 11, no, 10 other people, including four wo women, would have been entombed there and uh, underneath the landslide. Uh, it really makes you realize what small, helpless people we are when you're living here and see these powerful natural forces at work. And 24 hours later, Gerald's words are driven home and rain thunders down out of a grey sky. Milford Track Party number 64, that was our party, has begun a wet tramp down the last stage of the track, the 13 miles to Sandfly Point. But we've stayed behind to see Quinton in the rain, particularly to see and record the Sutherland Falls under these changed conditions. In the afternoon, party number 65, the last of the season, straggles in, cold, wet and tired. Next morning, we're all squelching along the track to the falls. And 48 hours later, I'm back in exactly the same position. During the last 24 hours, there has been six inches of rain in this area around Quinton and Sutherland Falls. Admittedly, it less than the third of the great flood of a few weeks ago. But last night, a second party of track walkers came over the McKinnon Pass and they told us that they'd had high winds up there, it was icy cold, and the rain was pouring down. They came down into the Quinton Hut about half past three, pretty well soaked, had a hot shower and a hot cup of tea, and last night they were as jolly as the previous party that had gone through in brilliant sunshine. This morning, they're coming up to see the Sutherland Falls. They're sloshing up behind me to a track which has become almost a river. I've been climbing over rocks and streams this morning, being very nearly up to my knees in water over the creeks. But there's two experienced guys with the party and they're gonna make it. There's about three times the amount of water coming over the Sutherland Falls this morning as there was 48 hours ago and it's coming down with a tremendous gale as it reaches the bottom. That gale is rushing past me, rushing past the microphone in its plastic bag, and obviously you can hear a lot of sound, but that's the difficulty of recording in rain and storm. A great number of other waterfalls have um, developed all around this area. There's one very large one which must be 700 feet high, which is about 100 yards to the left. And literally, the mountainsides of the canyon, which two days ago were green, a bush, and black rock, and without any waterfall at all, this morning are line after line of white streaks as the water streams down from the top into the base of the canyon. In the afternoon, the rain eases to a drizzle, and then stops and the mists begin to wreath up from the hillsides. The clearance will make things easier for the staff at Quinton, because in a couple of days they'll be moving out themselves, some permanently, 
some only until the spring brings a new season to the track. I don't want to go. Obviously one has to go, but uh, put it this way, I'm not looking forward to returning to what people are accustomed to call civilization. Uh, I feel quite easily that I could go bush, as they say, but uh, then you've got to be realistic and one has certain responsibilities and uh, I know it'll never happen, but uh, if... Uh, well, I have that feeling that it quite easily could happen to me. <coughs> but I know it won't. In twos and threes, the party straggles down to the Hutton signpost that mark the end of the Milford Trek. Milford itself is now only 15 minutes away by launch, and some of the trampers will be glad to see it. I've enjoyed the trip, but I'm absolutely bucket. Mike, 33 or 34 miles, all under your own steam. How does it feel at the end of it? Well, uh, pretty tiring, but... Uh well worthwhile and uh, I mean the rain was, was uh, a bit upsetting but it, it, I mean the company was so good and the scenery was so beautiful that uh, I'd like to come back again. What do you think you've got out of this whole experience? I, I've been thinking about this coming along the track and uh, I thought maybe this is a, a gesture of defiance against encro encroaching years you know I thought that that could be one thing and then uh, I'm a keen photographer, uh, there's a lot, lot of beauty about here, water, uh, bush and all that, you know, so I mean, uh, there's so many things really. I mean, the mountains and the, the standing at the bottom of a waterfall, which is about nearly 2,000 feet high, Mansfield's very insignificant. Mm. Coming from England, it was some of the, I saw some of the best scenery in the world, it's a mighty place. A lot of people told me that it was very beautiful, but I, I never expected to, to, to see see the beauty and uh, some of the splendid mountains. It's terrific. Where are we now? We're here. It's only just back there. It said 30, and then we have three more to go. I know, it's 32, but the launch or something. You can swim the last mile. It's optional. I didn't want to show off. <laughs> well, how was it? I loved every minute of it. Thank you very much. 33 miles under your own steam. How are the feet bearing Perfectly up? fine because I have well-used boots that are comfortable. And what are your main impressions of the track? The forest and the scenery and the birds and the views and wanting a bath. <laughs>